Hi, and welcome to Resurrection Church, where Dr. Joseph G. Matera is the senior pastor and presiding bishop. We are committed to serving our community and the community abroad. We pray that the word you are about to hear will be a blessing to your life and that you allow the Holy Spirit to open your heart and receive what the Lord is speaking to you. Taught to believe that our church is 38 years. Uh, actually, yesterday, let's give God a big hand for that. So our church started off as a disciple-making movement, and we're still a disciple-making movement, but, you know, we've been here almost 40 years, so we've also become an institution for the area. Uh, movements that be, don't have an institutional influence aren't worth much, but we've become an institution like other historic churches in New York City, and only God could have done that. Many churches have come and gone, and even... Unfortunately, uh, many have closed and uh, even exacerbated during the pandemic. So the fact that we're here 38 years later is a testament to God's grace, favor, as well as obedience to his assignment. There's no way a church can succeed if God didn't birth it. And so we're a church that agrees with the historic creeds, the Apostles' Creed, and the um, understanding of the gospel that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and rose from the dead three days later according to the scriptures. And he was seen by over 500 brothers at the time Paul wrote that in 1 Corinthians 15. So we're a disciple-making movement that's based on the simple proclamation of the gospel. The proclamation in the Greek is the kerygma. We preach the kerygma, the proclamation. We're a proclaiming community. Our community is based on preaching the gospel, on sharing the gospel. When I say preaching, I'm not talking merely of a pastor preaching on Sunday. I mean everybody sharing the gospel, being equipped to proclaim the gospel. And so we're a church that's missional. That means that we believe in the mission that Jesus gave us. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said, you will become my witnesses in Jerusalem, that's the surrounding community, Judea, that's the region, Samaria, that's greater than the region, and then to the ends of the earth. And we've definitely touched the ends of the earth with many of the things we've done. So we're a missional church. We believe that that's why the power of the Holy Spirit is to come on us, according to Acts 1. And uh, many people believe that the Holy Spirit comes on us so we can speak in tongues. Speaking in tongues is only a byproduct. It's only one of the many gifts of the Spirit God has given us. But the primary reason why the Spirit comes on us, the charismata, the charismatic movement, the Pentecostal movement, whatever you want to use to coin the phrase of churches that believe in the Holy Spirit moving upon them in this current day, the primary purpose of the Spirit is shown in Acts 1.8 so that we could have power to be His witness. So you can speak in tongues all day, but if you don't share the gospel, then you're speaking in tongues doesn't mean anything. We need to share the gospel. We need to be a proclamation community. We need to be missional. We need to be driven by our mission. That's how we started for several years before we were a church. We shut down many blocks. We did Muppet shows, skits. We showed movies. We saw countless hundreds of people coming to Christ. We saw the Spirit of God fall on the blocks that we closed as we got up to preach the gospel. Many, many gang members got saved. 
And we saw a transformation take place without gentrification within 10 to 12 years. That is to say the whole community was transformed from being filled with abandoned buildings and, uh, and drugs and crime. We saw huge transformation within 10 to 12 years. And it was because of the power of the gospel. The gospel has the power to lift communities, not just individual sinners. Yes, we spent countless hours casting demons out of people, praying that Santeria stores would close, and we saw at least one or two close. I don't know if there were any left after a few years. Uh, we saw triple uh, X stores close with uh, rallies and marches and working with political officials to pray against them. Um, and, uh, you know, we saw so many different things take place. But most importantly, we saw lives transformed by the gospel, leaders sent out, churches started, people ministering all over the world that have made an impact. We prayed, and the spirit of prayer came on us, and we travailed in the spirit, if you know what that means. And for two hours we prayed until finally we got a breakthrough at 12 o'clock, and the peace of God filled us. And I said, stop praying, we got the building. That's all I know is we got it. And then two hours, three hours later, when the guest speaker, Pastor Floyd Baker, got up to preach, service you know, started at 2 after the worship announcements. He got up at 3 o'clock, and before he preached, he called me up and he said, Pastor Joe, I have a word for you. Now, this is the same time, the same day that we prayed and got a breakthrough. He said, I have a word for you. I said, okay. I went up there and he prophesied the building that you were believing God for is going to come sooner than you think. He had nothing to do with that meeting I had in the morning. He had no idea we were praying for a building or believing for a building. I never told him anything about the building. Matter of fact, I didn't even have fellowship with him the day before. He drove in, I think, from Pennsylvania that morning. And so he prophesied that we were going to get a building sooner than we thought. And the next day, as I was uh, in a limousine, we were doing the burial of a dear sister, member of our church, Sister Lillian Asman. I asked her son, by the way, how are the Finnish people doing in this community? Because they were a Finnish family. And he'd even answered a question and he said, yesterday, Amatra Hall at 12 o'clock after years of deliberation, finally voted to sell the building. Uh, do you want to buy it? I said, yes. We had three separate witnesses within 24 hours. So I knew that was God. We had the spirit of prayer on us. We had the prophetic word. And then 24, not even 24 hours later, he said at 12 o'clock, and guess that was the time we had the breakthrough in the spirit, right? Because they were kind of stubborn. They didn't want to let go of the building. And, uh, and so finally we prayed through. We got the okay. Within six months, we closed. And we had the exact amount of money because of our vision fund we were putting money aside for the future. We had saved, after 14 years, $150,000. That was exactly the amount we needed to close. Wow. The bank would not finance more than that. The building was estimated at 450000 because I think they made a mistake and thought it was a wood frame building. And then the next year was estimated at 850,000 and the rest is history and God really blessed.
Next week, Pastor Michael is going to share part two of the vision, and we're going to be sharing with you what God, what we believe God is going to do in the next three to five years. Let's open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Okay, so in 2 Corinthians, we're dealing with the most personal of all the letters of Paul. And chapter 5, we're going to skip some of the beginning here. Paul begins the chapter on dovetailing off chapter 4, what we preached about last week, where Paul ends chapter 4 by saying, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So he brings into eternal perspective. He brings in the fact that we're not looking at what we see, but we have an exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And then he gets into the fact that we have a temporal physical house and that one day we will be absent from the body so we could be present with the Lord. And then chapter 5 verse 6 picks it up. So we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. We walk by faith, not by sight, and a confident yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So this is where we're going to pick it up today. Verse 9, Lord, give us your wisdom and understanding. And let, let me just say this before I start. By the way, this, the devil hates this church. And even though, you know, we had Vision Sunday plan, we had three uh, women, key women in our church get attacked physically this week. Uh, and so when we end this, we're going to pray and believe God. And uh, we had some technical issues here with the heat today. So we know that when we're having resistance, it means that the enemy is afraid. That's actually a good sign. I've been trained in warfare and the things of God. And I know that if the enemy doesn't resist, then we're not on track. So we're going to pick it up in verse 9. Therefore, we make it our aim. This is our focus. This is our goal. Whether present or absent, meaning present or absent from the body, whether we're on earth or whether in heaven, we make it our aim to be well-pleasing to him, to God. Verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, meaning Christians too. All of us, no exception, will appear before God. In Christ, there'll be a judgment day for all of us. What is the reason for that? That one may receive the things done in their body. In other words, this is not a rehearsal. This is not a dress rehearsal. You're not going to be judged in eternity for what you're going to do in eternity. You're going to be judged for what you did while you have a physical body. And so you don't get a second chance. You don't get a second life. That's why we've got to make this life count. That's what Paul is saying. So we're all going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body 
according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And then we also have to understand that there is a judgment for believers that's distinct from the judgment from unbelievers. So the judgment for believers is called a bema, B-E-M-A, the bema judgment seat. That's where we're judged for our works. The great white throne judgment, which is in Revelation 20, verse 11 to 15, is when people are judged who do not have their name written in the book of life. And that's for eternal condemnation. So it's not for their works. It's for, you know, they're judged without being in Christ. And um, they're not judged for good works. They're judged for not being saved, basically. So we're all going to stand before some sort of judgment, whether it's the Bema judgment for Christians or the great white throne judgment for unbelievers. If you have your name written in the book of life, you will not stand before Christ in the great white throne judgment. But we will all stand before this judgment seat, the Bema judgment seat. And then in response to that, Paul says in verse 11, knowing therefore, therefore meaning what he just said, we know therefore the terror of the Lord. Wow. Therefore, we know the terror of the Lord. Paul, as great as an apostle as he was, he also knew the terror of God. He never lost that sense of respect and awe. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So even though Jesus is our friend, we never, ever should lose the fear of the Lord. That's just the respect of God. Because that's the beginning of wisdom. Every morning when we wake up, that's the beginning of our wisdom, that we respect and fear God. We give him the respect and awe do his name. And so he said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, that's a little different because he's not just talking about the fear of the Lord, but he's also referring to the fact that there are people who don't know Christ and because they don't know Christ, it's not just respect, it becomes terror. Imagine you don't know Christ, you stand before him, before the great white throne judgment. You won't just have respect, and you won't just have awe, but you will have the greatest terror you ever thought you could ever imagine. Because you'll know that you're naked in your sins without forgiveness. You had your chance while you were alive. While you were in your body, you had the chance, but you kept denying the gospel. You kept going your own way. You kept not taking it serious. And then one day, boom, you're absent from your body and you were lost for eternity. No second chances. And so he said, knowing the terror of the Lord, it's healthy to understand and get a sense of that terror we persuade men. And so, what was Paul's response was persuading men. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you to become a fisher of men. What else can you do once you're saved, once you know the gospel, once you have this incredible understanding of forgiveness of sins, the burden, the weight of sin taken off you. Once that takes place in your life, what can you do? persuade others to experience that same gospel, good news, a 
of salvation. It's that that's what Paul's saying. Knowing the terror of the Lord, our response is to persuade others. We're a gospel-preaching community. We've never lost sight of that. We never will. By God's grace, a church that doesn't proclaim the true gospel or the pure gospel, have a burden to do it, doesn't really believe the Bible, doesn't really believe in a hell and a heaven, doesn't really believe in eternity. But if we really believe it, we will persuade men. And that's what Paul said, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. If you're not persuading men, then you don't know the terror of the Lord. I don't care how much you say you believe in heaven and hell, you don't believe it if you don't endeavor to persuade men towards the gospel. And so he says, we persuade men, but we are um, well known to God, and I also trust the well known in your consciences. And so God knows the life we're living, and he's saying that the people in the church know the life that Paul was living, that their conscience is clear. Verse 12, uh, we do not commend ourselves again to you and give you an opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearances and not in heart. And then he says, for if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are of a sound mind, it is for you. And so what he's saying here is, look, you know, I don't really need to have the, the need to boast on my behalf, the life I'm living. I don't need to con- commend myself because God knows me. But if I act like a fool, basically, it is for God. But if I'm a sound, sound in my mind and thinking, it is for you, for your sake. So Paul is put in this situation, which we don't have to go over again, where people were accusing him, saying he wasn't a super apostle, uh, accusing his motives, all of this was already spoken of. We'll get into it in later chapters. But then he jumps right into the heart of what he was saying, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Verse 14, for the love of God or the love of Christ compels us. It motivates us. It implores us. It, it, it's just exploding on the inside of us. The love of Christ compels us because we judge this. That if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Wow. This is powerful. So we see a dual aspect of motivation here. Verse 9, he says, we, verse 11, he says, we know the terror of the Lord, but then in verse 14, he says, but we have a motivation from the love of God. The love of God compels us. So because we have a terror that there is a judgment coming, the aspect of God's love then motivates us to win people, to warn people, to bring people in to the good news of Christ so that they will be saved. And so we should not only have the fear of the Lord or the terror of the Lord, but we need to have the love of God responding on the inside of us, motivating us to share the gospel. So he says, the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. Wow, that's a heavy statement. How many know Jesus Christ died for all on the cross, right? 
So if he died for all, Paul is then saying, basically logically, he's concluding then if he had to die for all, then all died. In other words, all of us are under the sentence of death. All of us deserve punishment and death. And then for Christians, it has a dual meaning. Once we receive Christ, we've died with him. Romans 6. Gets a little complicated. All men are under the sentence of death, Romans 3.23. But for Christians, when we receive him, we've died with him. We've been united together with him in his death and burial and resurrection. Our old man has been crucified with him so that the body of sin has been rendered powerless so that we would not see death. But then we've also been united together with his resurrection so we could partake of newness of life. That's all Romans 6. Incredible stuff. So all are under the sentence of death. Christians who believe in Christ have had their death sentence consumed and consummated in the body of Christ. That's why they already died. They are no longer under condemnation, but have passed from death to life, John 5.24. Whew, I love this. And so the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all. Not so we could just say, a measly little sinner's prayer and go on the rest of our life. It's not about just a, a, a quick prayer. But he died for all that, listen to this, that those who live, meaning in the body, and that's all of us, we all are still in our body, we're not absent from the body and presence in eternity, present in eternity, we're still in the body. So he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. It's not just about saying the sinner's prayer. It's about not living for yourself anymore. That's what it means to be a Christ follower. That's what it means to be a disciple. So that we should no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. The only real genuine response to the cross and the only real genuine response to the one who died for us, was buried in rows, is that we put our own agenda aside and we live for him and not for ourselves anymore. Christ is above all, through all, and in all. And we need to live for him, for his glory. Verse 16, therefore... In light of everything he just said, that we should not live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him thus no longer. So we see it's very popular nowadays to judge people according to the color of their skin. So we don't judge any man according to flesh. I'm a new creation. The old has gone. Not My skin color is not what's gone. I'm still the same color skin I always was. What he's talking about is my past, my sins, my sin nature. All of that is the main thing that's dealt with. On the cross, I'm a new creation. 
I'm a new species. The old have passed. Jesus promised a new heaven and a new earth. Jesus promised that he was going to renew all things. And we begin that process as soon as Jesus rose and inaugurated the new kingdom. He also brought us into it. He said, if you're born again, you will see the kingdom. And so in light of everything Jesus has done, becoming sin for us, dying and rising from the dead for us, we have the ministry of reconciliation. We're called to be the peacemakers. We're not called to promote a political agenda or promote a political party or promote uh, you know, an agenda based on someone's so-called race, although there's only one human race. That's why I usually use the word ethnicity. We're not called to promote things that divide. We're called to be reconcilers. And the only way there'll ever be true reconciliation in this world is when people receive Christ, when there's a gospel movement that permeates the whole earth. That's the only time there'll ever be true peace. There's no mayor, no governor, no president, no prime minister, no king, no queen that'll be able to bring peace because there's only one prince of peace. And until the world comes to that prince of peace, we'll never have reconciliation between the people. The issue is not the color of skin because if the issue was totally the color of skin, then there'd be no black-on-black crime. There'd be no white-on-white crime. There'd be no Hispanic-on-Hispanic crime. There'd be no crime in countries where everyone looks the same, where there is no ethnic mixture. The problem is never about skin color. The problem is always about S-I-N, sin. The world wants to always make it about something else, something environmental. God says, the problem, young man, is your heart. It's not your skin color. Problem with me is not the color of my skin. It's not because of the height or the weight I have. It's in my heart. And until God renovates my heart, I'm going to keep having the same issues, the same issues. And so God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That's the message of peace. Verse 20, now then we are, then means in light of everything I just said, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I love this. So in light of this, in light of the fact that we have the message of reconciliation, the politicians who are not saved don't have that. Bill Gates, if he's not saved, doesn't have it. The technical uh, geniuses uh, in the genius bar don't have that. Uh, The people who are on the cutting edge of, of AI don't have that. We are the only ones who have the message of reconciliation. We are the only ones who have the message that can bring people together. We're the only ones who have the God who died and rose who's able to bring people together based on the blood of Jesus. We're the only ones where the hope of the world rests. The church is the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And that's why he says, and that's why I'm saying all these things, he says we are ambassadors for Christ. 
An ambassador doesn't represent themselves, but they represent the kingdom they are from. They represent the nation they are from. Because we have the message of reconciliation, because we are the only species on the earth that are of a new creation, of a new created order, who are participating with Jesus in the renewal of all things in creation, because of that we are ambassadors. Nobody else can represent God like the church. That's why you got to watch how you behave. Because you're not representing yourself, you're representing another kingdom. You're representing the one who died and rose for you. We're ambassadors. So we're not just preachers proclaiming we are officials, a royal priesthood and kingdom we represent. With official legal standing in God's kingdom, we are delegates of the kingdom walking on the earth while we're in this body. That's why we have to take so serious the kind of lives we choose to live. Now you hear what I'm saying? Somebody say, I'm a delegate. delegate. Those of you who are on the live stream say, I'm an ambassador of Christ. We're not just Christians who have nothing to answer to or no one to answer to but ourselves whose actions only affect us no 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 whether you like it or not you're a delegate you're representing the kingdom of God as royalty and so he ends it by saying we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us God speaking through us pleading through us having mercy through us Pleading has to do with the urgency of the message. Uh, God, imagine God stooping down to us. God who doesn't need anything. God who never gets hungry. A God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. A God who didn't need to make the earth. A God who is perfect in his triuneness, in his three persona fellowship with Father, Son, and Holy Ghost who don't need anything, don't need time or space, a God who doesn't need a fellowship with humans, literally stooping down to plead with us. Imagine, almost as if he needed us. But it's because he has made himself vulnerable to us because of his deep love and that affection that he has he pleads with you be reconciled with me I've done everything I can I died for you what else can I do and he's using us as his messengers as his delegates to bring that message and allow God to plead through us that's why we should be open to speaking his words being filled with his spirit and understanding that God is inspiring us to bring words so that people can be saved. This is incredible, mind-blowing, hard to even fathom and comprehend if you're following what I'm saying. And then he ends it with the charisma. The basic gospel, God made him 
who knew no sin to become sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. We're not just forgiven, we become God's righteousness. Can you imagine? The same way Jesus, who is righteous, became sin, we who are sinners become righteous. Not just righteous in ourselves, but the righteousness of God. How many believe God is righteous? How many believe God is holy? You become his righteousness. <laughs> Can you understand that? You're not just becoming righteous. You're taking upon yourself. He's giving you, rather, and imparting to you his righteousness. That's why the devil hates our church, because we preach the gospel. That's why the devil hates Christians who preach the gospel. Because he hates the righteousness of God. Because he's in eternal filthy rags, can never get out of that filthy garment and is forever condemned and there's no hope for the devil. And so he hates those who have the chance to live in eternity with God because he lost that ability. So I want us to pray. First, we're going to pray because... I want you all to enter into spiritual warfare and pray because the enemy will try to resist what God wants to do in your life and through our church. And then we're going to pray and we're going to believe God that everything he wants to do will be done. Everything he wants to do through our lives, everything he wants to do financially, everything he wants to do to keep us going for another 40 years. My God, it's going to happen. And so let's pray. Father, we just thank you. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to ask you all that are here to stand. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us the opportunity to be your ambassadors. To be the one, the people, the entity, the community that represents God to this world. You've called us to be ambassadors. And Father, we thank you, God, that you plead through us and you say to others, be reconciled to God. Be restored. Come back to me. Don't be on your own. Don't be without me. Don't be isolated from your God. Don't be apart from your God anymore. Don't be separate from your God. The Lord pleads with us and through us. Don't be separate from your God anymore. For God, the one who came, God's Son, who knew no sin, Jesus, who knew no sin, actually became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Help us, Lord, to understand this incredible message of the gospel. Help us. Father, we just come against every power of hell and darkness 
that would try to attack and stop your people during this season. Not only this season during our vision, week one today and week two, but during the rest of the assignment you've given our church for the next 40 years. Lord, we thank you, God, that greater things will be done because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we break every power of hell against everybody in our church. We believe, God, for total healing for those who have had a, a physical attacks in the past week. We pray for Araceli's arms, uh, arm uh, uh, bones to be healed. We pray for Pastor Millie to be healed. We pray, oh God, for Maritza to have a total restoration of her lungs and heart. And there'd be no after effects of COVID in her body. And anybody else who we're not aware of, uh, we're believing God for total and complete healing. And God, we thank you that the greatest things will t- yet take place. Uh, the greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And God, we thank you that as much as the enemy is angry, even as the dragon got angry in Revelation 12, he couldn't stop that man-child because he was born of God. And whoever is born of God overcomes the world. And you said rhetorically in 1 John 5, 15, who is the one who overcomes the world? Even he who has faith in the Son of God. And so, Lord, we have faith. And faith is the victory. Faith is what overcomes the world. We don't have faith in our faith. We have faith in Christ. So, Father, we thank you that the greater one is in us. Thank you you've called us to be ambassadors. We thank you the greatest works are yet to come. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We want to give you an opportunity today somebody here isn't either a Christ follower yet or perhaps you're not far from the kingdom but you've never made that commitment whether you're online or here in person we implore you to be reconciled to God I'm going to pray a prayer for those who may not know Christ or want to recommit themselves to Christ And I would ask you to get in touch with us and we could help you with your next steps and so you could learn how to be that Christ follower, that disciple. So let's just pray this prayer. Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name as a sinner. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Come in my life. Save me from my sins. And I will follow you all the days of my life. Give me the power of your spirit. Help me to be connected to the church. The family of God. That will help me in my walk. In Jesus' name. If there's anybody here who wants to rededicate their life, or you need prayer for anything, any reason... The leaders that are here will come up. If you want, you could just come up here and pray. We're going to be taking vision fund pledges and donations. You can go online and you could give to the vision fund 2022. You're giving and investing in the next 38 years of us preaching the gospel, proclaiming the gospel. Also, my wife made incredible soup. Uh, 
So before you go out in the cold, I know if you're online, I mean, you should have been here, that's all I can say. You're missing out on the soup. Of course, some of you couldn't make it, but um, there's going to be soup. So before you go in the cold, make sure you avail yourself of this delicious soup. It's uh, amazing. What kind of soup is it? It's butternut squash. Oh, man. I know my wife makes amazing butternut squash, split pea soup, other kinds of soup. So, but we're going to, before we go, uh, we're going to worship the Lord. And if anybody wants prayer, you're welcome to come up here. Amen. We pray that you were blessed by this word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at resurrectionchurchofny.com or give us a call at 718-436-0242 and be sure to follow us on Instagram at reschurchnyc. Take care and God bless.